0: If you were with us last evening, uh, this, what I'm going to say for the next about two minutes is going to be a review. For those of you who are new this evening, it's going to be brand new and you're going to have to absorb it very quickly because we're going to build on top of it, okay? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives his disciples a model of how to pray. In fact, they asked for it. They requested, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, and he gives them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, our father which art in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come and this is what we focused on thy will be done on earth in what manner as it is in heaven so basically the lord jesus said to the father lord my desire the prayer of my heart is that your work would be done here the same way that it's done there okay that your word be done here now that, that, the burden now shifts to understanding how it's done there so we can operate here correctly. Okay? And that's what we spent last night looking at, how heaven is just chock full of angels. Now, there are members of the Godhead, then you have the four living creatures, the 24 elders. We're going to get back again to that tonight. But the vast majority of the inhabitants of heaven are the angels, and they are the ones, according to Mrs. White, that do all of the ministering for the sick and afflicted and the, uh, the hurting people. Christ does through the ministry of angels. And my basic premise last night was that God wants to work that same way on earth as it is in heaven. That he wants to use us as his foot soldiers in winning people to him. Okay. So it's a call to stand apart to individual labor that we may proclaim, that you, as the Bible says, may proclaim the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So building on that, that's how heaven operates. This whole weekend, we're going to do a very logical sequence. We're going to have a curriculum, a structure. We're going to go from heaven, which we covered last night, now we're going to go to the Old Testament and see how that picture of heaven played out. Then we're going to go forward into the life and ministry of Jesus. Then to the early church. And by the weekend, we're going to land at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we're going to make an appeal. And I'm going to tell you what the appeal is now, just like I told you last night. You will win a soul for Jesus this year. Period. You as an individual, not Southern, not Salt, not your church. You will win someone through the power of God to his, to his truth, to his church. That's the That's the objective. I want you to be thinking about the appeal so that you can commit to it intellectually. I don't want to just have a weepy song and, and, and some sort of, uh, 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 you know, story that's going to make you cry. Like, this isn't Pinterest, right? <laughs> I don't want you to be like, oh, that's so cool. Okay, that's not what I want. I want a deep seated understanding, intellectual commitment that says, Lord, I get it, and I'm going to do it through your power. Make sense? Okay. That was two minutes of review. Before we start tonight's message, however, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be here tonight. I would ask that you would bring your word to life tonight. Lord, we ask that the same Holy Spirit who inspired his writing will now inspire our understanding, sharpen our minds, and Lord, where it's necessary, soften our hearts to understand and apply your truth in these last days of earth's history. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If we had time, we would cover the history of the church in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness, the children of Israel, and fascinating history. I mean, there's an entire message I love to do about how God used Egypt as an incubator for his people, right? If you ask people, how long were the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt? What's the typical answer? 400 years. Well, some of you are like, well, it's typical. It might be wrong. 400 years, right? Or 430, depending on which calculation you go by. You know, the call of Abraham to the law given at Sinai. 430 years. But the vast majority of that time was not in Egypt. And it sure wasn't in persecution. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph finally goes down into Egypt. And yes, he had a stint as a slave, but he got out and got a pretty good position out of it, right? And he, was, he had the best of the... when his family came down... In fact, you can read all this in Exodus... In fact, let's just very quickly do that. I love speaking to young or youngish people, right? Because you can keep up. If I speak fast, you're okay with it. Yes? Yes. yes. All right. Fantastic. All right. Sometimes when I, when I speak in a, a message with older people there, they, they like to... Exodus chapter 1. <laughs> They're very encouraging. They're very appreciative of the message, all that they heard of it. Okay. Exodus chapter 1. Notice this now. These are the names... Verse 1... Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob. And it lists off the names of the family there. And notice this says here, verse 4, I mean verse 5, all those who were descendants of Jacob were how many? Seven. 70 persons. This is 215 years into 430 years. They're halfway there, and they've reached a big number of 70. Of course, the next 250 years when they come out with the mixed multitude included, and they're pushing 2 million so they go from 70 to a crowd of 2 million in 215 years. The first, 200, the first 70 took 250 years. The next million plus, another 250 years. There was something in the water. Watch this. <laughs> And by the way, it wasn't as soon as Joseph died, then things got bad. Watch this, verse 6. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation, a whole segment of the population dies. But the children of Israel, and watch how they use language. It's almost as if language fails them. How can we say that they really, 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 really grew? But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. They're like, here's the thing. They started off at 70. They got to Egypt, and my word, things took off. <laughs> Just explosion, right? And you can see how the Lord was leading. He basically used the land of Egypt as an incubator. And it wasn't as though they were harsh and oppressed the whole time. They had the land of Goshen, right? It was only in the result of the Lord's blessing, they said the Egyptians got worried because they became so strong and so mighty that they were going to take over, and they put them under their thumb, right? So this is how Egypt comes to, into play here. But now, after all that time, the Lord leads them out of Egypt and he, and he wants to make them not just a special family, but a holy nation. Okay? A holy nation. And he establishes them as his people. And God would be here, their God and they would be his people. Now, Exodus chapter 25 will be our next stop. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25. In verse 8, Uh, likely uh, a passage that's very familiar to us. And it says in verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Of course, backing this up, this is 25, and chapter 20 comes before that, logically. And that's where you have, what's in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19, the Lord brings them together and gives them as, I'm going to make you this great people, this great nation. You're going to be mine. And and he says, tomorrow I'm going to come and speak the law. And so basically he's assembling them. He gives them the law. And now he's going to organize them into a picture. And and I want to explain this, okay? So the Lord says now in verse 8, Let them make me a sanctuary. The first building he wants them to make is his own house. It's my sanctuary. Let them make his sanctuary that I may dwell among them, his dwelling place on earth. And notice in verse 9, he doesn't say, go therefore and get creative. Right? He doesn't say that at all. He says, according to the pattern, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. He's like, there's a pattern for the tent. There's a pattern for the stuff in the tent, all the furnishings, all the accoutrement. And exactly how you should make. Now, the rest of the book of Exodus, except for, of course, the uh, golden calf incident that needs by necessity to be recorded there. The rest of it is about the establishment of God's dwelling place, the most holy place, the holy place, the courtyard, all the things that go along with it, every article. And we're talking about dimensions. I mean, very, like the knobs of it should be just like this. And it's going to look like this, made of these materials, just this by this by this. And it's extraordinarily particular about this thing. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand that that pattern came from where? Heaven. Let's make sure that it's in our scriptures. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, I believe, writing here, Again, about the centrality and, and, and priestly ministry of Jesus and all of our faith, how he's the above the angels. We saw that night one with uh, Hebrews chapter one, that he's greater than the now. He has a ministry as greater than the priest, he's the real thing. He's the antitypical priest, if you will. And now in verse chapter eight, he brings this home. Verse one. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister, and watch this, of the sanctuary and of the what kind of tabernacle? Now, does that mean that the one on earth with a false tabernacle? No. No, 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 this is not true versus false. This is shadow versus substance right? The one on earth was a replica. It was a scale model. It was a thing, but it wasn't the real thing. It was pointing to, just like the lambs that went through that service. They were not the the thing that brings us salvation, but they point us to. They're an object lesson, if you will, right? But now Christ has gone from this earth back to heaven, and he serves, as it says here, he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. And it goes on to say, Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Right? So if Jesus was just another baby born, he would not grow up to be, I don't know what he would have grown up to be, but he would not have been a priest. Why? Because they didn't need any more priests. They got all the priests they need in this earthly sanctuary, right? since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, and notice where they serve, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Some versions say, of what is in heaven. Patently clear that the sanctuary with this courtyard, holy place, most holy place, and the altar, and all the different furnishings and accoutrements, all of it was supposed to be a snapshot, a picture if you will, of heaven. Now, Again, he goes on. In fact, he goes to say, For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So what was Moses shown when he was on the mountain? Heaven. Does that make sense? He's like, I'm going to show you what you're going to make. It's kind of like John was shown heaven. And we'll see that in a minute here. Come up here and I will show you things. Moses had a very similar experience, apparently. The Lord met with him. And he says... I'm going to show you my house. And I want you to make it exactly like this. The reason he was so particular in every element because it was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. And it was supposed to be a little reflection of heaven here. So if you just get creative and make me whatever you want, I'm sure it would be pleasing to you, but it doesn't do a thing for me because my goal with this is to A, dwell with you, and B, show you a little piece of heaven. Okay? Now, all of that we have covered At some point in our studies, and our lives, and hopefully that wasn't new information so much. Now, what I'm going to share with you now, I learned right here in a classroom at Southern Adventist University from one of the good professors here. And I stopped by his office today and I said, I want to thank you for what you taught me. I'm stealing it. Just, it is gone, you know? It, it, is, it is, trademark is, is wiped away. Because what I want to share with you is something, this is the picture I always had, that God wanted to show people what heaven was like, and so he built his house, the, the church building, if you will, the, the sanctuary where you come to meet with God and everything like that. And then the rest of the camp was just kind of, you're in the wilderness, you're in the desert, and I guess you're with your families and things. It was just kind of vague and nebulous like that. It didn't really have much more, Concrete connection for me. But I want to show you something that really, really impressed me, and I hope it impresses you. Let's go to the book of Numbers. Numbers, as we continue our study, by the way, the title of tonight's message is Heaven on Earth, appropriately enough. Numbers, chapter 1. And appropriately enough, the book of Numbers begins with a census, or a counting of the people. And so now they're getting into the details once... Uh, all of the, the book of Exodus is all about the sanctuary. The book of Leviticus is about the services of the sanctuary primarily. And now we get to the book of Numbers, and it expands beyond the sanctuary to the camp. And they start counting the people out there, all of them. Okay? Now, let's start with chapter 1, and let's go to verse 52. Now, originally, he, the last two books of the Bible, Exodus and Leviticus, have been talking about the Lord's dwelling place, the Lord's tent. But now he's going to start talking about all the other tents. In Israel. Verse 52. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own, what's that word? Standard. According to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. So all the other families, the tribes were to camp together as a family unit, as groups and tribes there. But the Levites were supposed to be the closest around the tabernacle. It tells us why. First of all, that there's no wrath on the congregation. Apparently, they're the ministers that bring you into the presence of God. And also, logistically, pragmatically, they care for the temple. right? So the sons of Aaron would do the priestly ministry. The rest of the Levites would do the tangible work, and they would keep all the different things going. And that was their work. That's where they would live. It was in proximity to their occupation. But I'm going to go back to this idea of this camping next to your family and with the standard. What is that? Well, it says in verse 54, thus the children of Israel did, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. So we move into chapter 2. How did they execute that command? And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard. And here's a synonym beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. Now, it's used two words standard and emblem of the father's house. The implication, and well, as we're going to see, it's going to be straightforward every family had a standard or an emblem. And there's a lot of synonyms we could modernize that with with an icon, a logo, a symbol, you know, a banner, a flag. They had a thing that you looked at and that's, aha, that's my family. It's a picture, right? You look at it and you don't have to explain it. It doesn't take words. It's just, ah, look at that thing. It's a picture. Now, before we move on, I want to, why would he, the Lord, do this? Why would he have everyone camp by a flag? Well, First of all, let's think it from a practical standpoint, log- logistically. I spent four years of my ministry in Central Florida. Are there any Floridians here tonight? Yes, fantastic. You will relate to what I'm talking oh, about. Everybody else has probably visited Central Florida for a little bit, right? Okay. If not, okay. It, it's still down there. Go, go take a look. Um, <laughs> It's very, very big, very flat, you know, a lot of warm all the time, so you can go there. And, and that's where apparently the world has decided to put the largest theme parks on the planet. You know, you have Disney World, SeaWorld, Epcot, you have, you know, Bush Gardens type of thing, and these massive roller coasters and funnel cake e- extravaganzas, you know. And equally large to the attraction are the parking lots that go with the attractions, right? Now... These parking lots are so... They don't expect you to park your car and go in. They expect you to park your car and then get a ride to the place. Right? They literally have shuttle buses and stuff that come around because you're so... These things are so big, if you were to just park your car and walk to the event, you're done. You'd go home. Right? Because that's my day. So they understand, you're going to park your car and we'll take you there. And I, for instance, drive a silver compact SUV. Okay? Now imagine... A nice hot summer afternoon at the Disney World massive, monolithic parking lot. I drive in my compact silver SUV and park it uh, eight or 9,000 miles from Disney World, okay? (laughs) And I get a ride on the tour bus, and I'm all day uh, riding the rides and, and whatever the, the, the not health message things are that you do at Disney, right? And, and they expect this. They built this thing, right? You come out and you have a sugar thing and you're dizzy and you're, you think you're having fun but you're sunburned and miserable and it's, it's, it's a very confusing blend of experience. And you come out and all you see in that shimmery Florida sun is a bunch of twinkling little cars, right? And I'm looking for that one compact silver SUV of the 10,000 that are there, right? Literally, could be thousands of that exact vehicle could be there, right? How do I find my car? Well, <laughs> yeah, there's somebody, get the key fob and just start walking, you know? <laughs> Good luck, you know, that's, that's a long day's work, right? Interestingly, the, the, the people who organize these parks understand that you're not going to find your compact silver SUV when you're done with Magic Kingdom, whatever. They understand that. And they built a structure in, and it's extraordinarily biblical, Okay, You're not supposed to look down to find your car. When you park your car, you look up, and you see, you know, like, Goofy in a sombrero or something. But they have a flag, (laughs) right? Or a dolphin or a whale, some silly chipmunk. That's a thing, right? And you're not looking for your car amongst the hundreds around there. You're looking for that one thing. And so they ask you where you're headed. And I'm like, you know, Minnie Mouse 6 or something. And they take you there. And sure enough, and you find that and you know where you are relative to that sign, to that emblem, to that banner. Think about it. You have close to 2 million people out in the wilderness on the desert floor. And they're all in tents. How do you... He's like, every family will have a a banner. And they're going to have a place that's adjunct to another place. And the whole thing is structured so that it works harmoniously. It's brilliant. Now, watch how this, in fact, it is not just, all right, every man for himself, don't camp near the sanctuary. The Levites are here and the rest of the desert is yours. Go take your flag and go stick it in the ground somewhere. And that's your territory. That's not how it operated. Let me show you something fascinating. As it continues, uh, verse Uh, Chapter 2, still, okay. Verse 3. On the east side, and here we're going to make this a a little uh, living demonstration here. Let's say that this is the territory of the tabernacle, of the sanctuary, okay? On the east side, which I will do opposite for your... That that looks like east to you, yeah? Okay, all right, good. All right, on the east side, it says here in verse 3... Towards the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with what tribe? Judah Judah shall camp according to their armies, and it lists them off. Now, there are these 12 tribes of Israel, and you have four sides to this building. So how many tribes do you need around on each side? Three. (laughs) Three. Now, Judah apparently is the main one on the east side. He's the central one, the big flag one, whatever, the emblem you look for. But adjacent to him, camping with his armies, says in verse 5, those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. And it lists off them. And in verse 7, then comes the tribe of Zebulon. So on the east side, you have Judah with Issachar and Zebulon adjacent. Okay, so you have the one main cardinal direction tribe. Not yet. And then these two over here. Now... We'll continue on. And by the way, they're the first to break camp, it goes on to say. So whenever they put down the tent and everything, they had a sequence that these would break camp first, and then those would work its way around. So whenever they set, they tore down camp. <laughs> they would march. It wasn't just a chaotic scene. It would just go tent to tent to... All the way around. It's really cool. Now, let's continue on. Let's go to the south side, Verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben, according to their armies. So we have Reuben as the central one. Verse 12, those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. And then verse 14, then comes the tribe of Gad. Simeon, uh, so you have Reuben along with Simeon and Gad for the south side. On the west side now, we'll go on to verse uh, 18. On the west side shall be the standards of the forces with Ephraim. In verse 20, next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh. And then verse 22, then comes the tribe of Benjamin. And finally, on the north side, verse 25. The standard of the forces with Dan shall be on the north side, according to their armies. And then in verse 27, those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. And verse 29, then comes the tribe of Naphtali. And he goes on to... to, to order them and list their names off, okay? So you have the main tribe on this side, the cardinal direction east is Judah, and he has two tribes with him. On the south, it's Reuben, and he has two tribes with him. On the west, it's Ephraim, with two tribes, and on the north, it's Dan, with two tribes, okay? So if you were in the sanctuary, headed out, you could know which direction you were facing, and you would know your family's relative location next to these other ones, right? So it's a very organized way from the sanctuary, you can work your way and find your way home. It's kind of practical that way. Now, again, we're building a picture here. You have the sanctuary, which of course, the holy place, most holy place, courtyard, everything entailed there. This is God's tent. Closest around it are the Levites. And or further around those, you have these four cardinal directions with their banners and then accompanying them, other ones, right? Now, let's take another step further. Of course, all of this was a temporary thing, but once they got into the land, they were supposed to establish a permanent sanctuary. And he goes on, to take a look at 1 Chronicles, chapter 24. 1 Chronicles, chapter 24. Apparently, there was a little bit more organization, a further organization, specifically of the Levites, Now, chapter 24, we'll start with verse 1. Now, these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Again, not just all the Levites, particularly the sons of Aaron, and they were the priests, correct? So the priests were to be further subdivided, not just somewhere around, but further subdivided. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But, of course, we recall what happened to Nadab and Abihu, right? And it specifically references that here, verse 2. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Which the reason you bring this up is because it affects the division of the camp, because it's supposed to be divided equally amongst the children, right? Now, and it says, verse 3, then David with Zadok of the sons of Eliezer and Himelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. You can see that this was still practiced at Jesus' time whenever John uh, was born to his father, who was a priest, and it was his time of service, right? Then he was... It was talked to by the angel messenger, right? So it goes on, and it just starts listing them off. Verse 4, These, there were more leaders found to the sons of Ithamar, uh, Eliezer than the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. So one had more, one had less, but they divided them up in this way. And it just starts listing them off. And by the time you get down to verse, let's say, 16 and I'll oh, start with 17, there's so many names I can't pronounce that it's just not fun. But we'll start with verse 17, toward the end of the list, Right? the 21st to Jachin, the 22nd to Gamal, verse 18, the 23rd to Deliah, the 24th to Messiah. How many total were there? 24 rounds of service. Okay, then verse 19. This was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to the ordinance by the hand of Aaron their father as the Lord God had commanded him. So the Lord further organized the priests who would live near the tabernacle into their rounds of service, and they had 24 rounds. Okay? Interesting thought. Now, let's put the pieces together. If you were to go to Revelation chapter 4, hopefully you will see all of it come together. Why was the Lord so particular about the organization of the camp of Israel? Again, if you were there, you would see, in the middle, the throne of God, which of course the sanctuary, the whole thing, and of course in the, that's in the most holy place. In the holy place, you'd see those seven lamps, you know, the fire and the, the furniture in the holy place. And then out beyond that, you'd see all the, the tribes of the Levites and divided, right. And then you'd see these cardinal direction banners, and the, the whole camp is organized very particularly by the command of the Lord. Why does he get this particular with it? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After these things, is the Apostle John writing from the island of Patmos, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. What's the first thing he these? A throne set in heaven. What well, was the very first thing, by the way, that they were supposed to build on earth? Was the throne. The Ark of the Covenant, with the mercy seat, and the covering cherubs, which, by the way, was Lucifer's old post of duty. If you recall, every time he worked, every time he did anything, and he saw on earth that Ark of the Covenant mercy seat and that angel covering, don't think he didn't flash back to where he used to be, right? It goes on. Again, verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So he starts seeing this throne. Now, what I forgot to tell you, and this is critically important, I'm guessing you can tell me. What do you just take a wild stab? What do you think was the icon, the emblem, the logo, the banner, whatever you want to call it, the flag of the tribe of Judah? Well, lion, right? We know that the lion of the tribe of Judah. Israelite history, Jewish history records what these emblems and standards were. And it's fascinating, by the way, Judah was the lion, okay? Then there was Reuben, looked like a man, it was the face of a man, right? Ephraim was an ox or a calf, okay? And the Dan on the north side was an eagle. Why did the Lord choose those banners and those emblems, those standards, and place them around the sanctuary in that way? Let's continue. Told you, it's cool, right? And we're not even there yet. Okay. <laughs> now watch this, All right? So we got the, the Lord on his throne in heaven. Verse 4. Around the throne were how many thrones? 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. So that's the place of those representatives, the ministers in heaven. They have a special place surrounding the throne, divided into 24 divisions. Verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Of course, you won't find the term Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation, you'll find a lot of symbolic language. you find the seven spirits, and you'll notice that this is the Holy Spirit because when Jesus enters the room looking like a lamb as though it had been slain, everything goes around Jesus except for one being. That's the seven lamps that are burning. The seven spirits of God, which are referred to as the seven spirits of God who are sent out into all the earth. Okay, they're dispatched. Jesus comes in and he sends another helper. Continuing on. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Okay? Now let's go. We we picked up on this last night, but we're going to bring it back around now. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. Beyond those... What did John see? Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. And where are they? Around the throne, the living creatures, and the elders. Not immediately around the throne. Not immediately with the four living creatures. Not with the 24 elders. They are beyond that. But he hears their voices and he looks. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of Thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So what you see is the throne of God with the seven lamps burning in front of it, the 24 elders around, the four living creatures just happen to be the same things that Lord established with Israel, and beyond them was this massive camp full of angels. Now, I believe that the Lord, as we have known for years, the Lord established the sanctuary to be a reflection of what is in heaven. Every one of us said, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. But did you realize that the entire camp was supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth? That God intended his people, when someone else encountered them, to get a little picture of heaven right here on earth. That the purpose of the church is to reflect what heaven will be like. Now watch this now, okay? The people have this mistaken idea in evangelical Christianity that Israel was just chosen by God just to be this blessed people and they were blessed and blessed and blessed just to look, at revel- like, look at back in the Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham. What does it say about this blessing? Why does he choose him? What is his purpose with this people? Genesis chapter 12. Yes, he was going to bless them, but for what function? Thank you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And here it is. You shall be a what? Sometimes we get this picture that Israel was just chosen by God to receive his... He just needed somebody to dump all those blessings on. He was like, I'm going to bless you and you just... Enjoy. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you my presence. And you are just going to be my special people, the apple of my eye. And the rest of the world is like, (sighs) we missed it. You know, we didn't, we're not in the people, right? This was the view that the Jews came to inhabit, right? They say, hey, we're, we're the blessed of the Lord. You know, Gentile, ugh, sorry. Or honestly, I'm not sorry. Just too bad. It's just. We're, we're kind of the blessed people, you know? But his whole purpose for establishing them was to bless others. Now, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. How were they to bless others? Chapter 19, Exodus, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, now that I brought you out of Egypt as he's about to give him the Ten Commandments and about to set up the camp and all those things we just read about. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. Notice it's not just a kingdom that has some priests. It's a kingdom that is a priesthood. The New Testament calls it the priesthood of what? All believers. Apparently the whole camp was supposed to work for the Lord and showing people Jesus. But somehow they got this idea, as long as we continue to support the ministry and and build up the tabernacle and build up the sanctuary and build up the, then we're okay. They'll do, we have a priest, we have this, and and they started looking like the ministry was in there when in reality the ministry was supposed to be all out there. Same thing we saw last night, Revelation 4 and 5. We get a lot of attention, as it should be on the Godhead, right? And the four living creatures, the 24 elders. Who are the 24 elders? But we neglect the hundred million angels that are listed there. And apparently all of Christ's work for the afflicted and needy is done through the ministry of angels. And I believe he wanted to replicate that system from heaven on the earth and put his people to work blessing others, But instead of blessed to be a blessing, they were just blessed to, you know, be blessed. And that's it. Now, even more specifically, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Starting with verse 5. Even more specifically, how they were supposed to be a blessing. Yes, the frontline workers, just like in heaven, were supposed to be the angels. And I believe the frontline workers were supposed to be the people in the camp. And here's how they are supposed to do it. Verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should, what? Act according to them. I gave you these laws so that you will bring your lives into harmony with them, and that you will be a living representation of them. You will act according to these laws. Now, goes on. That you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, notice he's like, you're going to be acting out my law. So be careful. By the way, when you claim to be a Bible believing Christian, please don't take the name of the Lord in vain. If you're going to claim it, follow through. And this is what the Lord is saying. I've given you my statutes, my judgment. I've set you up. I've made you my ambassadors in this world. So act like it. This is what he says. Therefore, verse 6, be careful to observe them. Notice, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all all this law which I set before you this day? Notice he said, they're going to see you, they're going to encounter you as an individual, and they're going to get a picture of the God that you serve. So be careful because you're literally an ambassador for Christ in this world. Now think about it, if someone stumbled upon the camp of Israel, they'd never read their Bible, they didn't, the Bible hadn't been written yet, it was still in existence there, right? And they wandered into the camp, they come over the hill, and they look down on the desert floor, and the first thing they see is close to two million people, just from 30,000 feet, they're just working together harmoniously. You look at the structure, you can see the whole thing laid out, which by the way, we can show you. It would look something like this. Not that, that, okay. It would come into the camp and you'd see, oh, everything kind of, now this is my interpretation of it, right? But it seems to make sense. The main tribes are in the cardinal directions and there's access and stuff and it's all laid out in the square based around this thing here in the middle. And notice that all roads lead to Jesus. It's how it should be. If there's any ministry that we do that doesn't lead people to Jesus, we should stop doing it because it's not a ministry. It's a hobby, (laughs) <laughs> right too many times we see people hobby and then put hobby ministry Woo! you're not ministering unless you're relating people to jesus let me just be very clear about that okay and all around they would see this structure of man all these people are working together seamlessly there's no traffic jams It just kind of works right and and this is the, what is this thing in the middle i don't know and they start it would be interesting it would be weird In fact, that's the word that, well, not the word, but it's very similar. In the Old and New Testament, it's called peculiar. You're going to be different. People are going to look at you. Get used to it. Somehow we've lost the idea. Seventh-day Adventist, come on. I know that we're different. Praise the Lord. We're supposed to be. Light is different than dark, but it shows the way, right? Okay, We'll, we'll get bigger amens later. That's okay but now imagine if they walk into this camp and they meet some of the individuals and as they walk through I mean there's a crowded place lots of hundreds of thousands of people right but they hear not one swear word that'd be different wish I could walk through southern and not hear one swear word I mean the camp shoot um, (laughs) right right they're you know, like, I don't know anything about that sanctuary or the 20, I don't know anything about that, but already you sound different. Right? No locks on the doors, no divorce. Every single individual kept the law of God, the moral law of God shaped their character. Didn't have to worry about anything. What a great place. Now, let's say that, man, I want to live here, this stranger says, and I'd like to apply for a job. What can I do for oh, well, We got all kinds of great things you can do, blah, blah, blah. Now, but we need to tell you, we won't let you work every seventh day. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry, what, how's that? How, say it again? Like, you work six, but we give you the whole day off. Don't, don't worry about coming in that day. In fact, it would be wrong if you did. Don't do it. <laughs> and in fact, here's the thing. If you work these six years, we take an entire year off. See, now you want to go to Israel, don't you, right? And that same reaction that you just had, they're like, look, I don't know anything about that thing in the middle, but I'm with you. I'm good. That sounds great. So every week I get a day off, guaranteed, absolutely. And every seven years I get a year off, and you still pay me? No problem. Yeah, you get food, you get clothes, it's going to be fine. What kind of people are... This is what the Lord said. Keep these statutes and these judgments. They're going to look crazy, but they're brilliant. Okay, keep coming on in. Keep bringing them in, right? Leading them closer and closer. By the way, when they got into the land of Israel and possessed the land of Canaan, they set up all these cities of refuge so that even if you accidentally were involved in a crime, if you did something unintentionally, you could run. And if you got to, everyone is guaranteed a fair trial. They didn't want justice to be executed out of vengeance. They wanted it to be clear. They wanted everyone to see why justice was done, which, by the way, is how the Lord works in heaven. Why hasn't he destroyed Satan yet? Notice Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I wish I had a time to do that series here. Both of those passages tell us why he was only cast out instead of being blotted out. It's so those who knew you might gaze at you. And consider you, you're going to be an object lesson. We need everyone to see for themselves because the Lord's going to have a universe full of sentient beings who will never rebel again, but have the freedom to do so if they would choose. The only way to guarantee no one will ever make that choice is to let to see the whole thing played out. Justice is going to be done, but it's going to be genuine justice. We serve a God, a just God, a fair God. And people would see that like, what an awesome place. You have cities of refuge. By the way, they'd have a health message. Right? I notice you people outlive all the other people. <laughs> you, know, you don't seem to get all the diseases that the uh, Egyptians and all these other people. Well, that's one of the things about the Lord. You see, he wants us to, we understand that the body and, and the spiritual side of man are not two separate things. We don't believe in Platonic duality, even though Plato didn't exist yet, but they would say it. And... <laughs> We believe in the wholeness of man, therefore what we eat and what we drink, we do it all to the glory of God. And it keeps us healthy and happy because we serve a God who wants to not only have his life, but more abundantly, right? Every single person was an ambassador of heaven. And of course, the closer and closer you got, you would come to that sanctuary message. The center of the camp was Jesus Christ, and him crucified, and him mediating in our behalf in the heavenly sanctuary. The reason that we're like this is because he is like that. And if you want some of this, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. The whole camp was supposed to be a priesthood on the earth to mediate for those lost people and bring them... To Jesus, By the way, Acts of the Apostles, page 14. God chose Israel to reveal his character to men. The purpose of Israel was to reveal God, his law, which is the transcript of his character, to the rest of the world. He desired them to be as wells of salvation in the world. Now, The purpose of this weekend, this G-Y-C-S-E, the theme that is chosen is stand apart, that you may proclaim, not that your church will proclaim, but you will proclaim. Not that your school, not that your, what you as an individual will lead people to Jesus. This was God's ideal in heaven, that the angels, that's their job, to minister for those who will inherit salvation. He wanted to replicate that structure and system in the Old Testament. I believe he wants to do it in his time before his coming. That Jesus wants foot soldiers. In fact, when Jesus arrived, remember, they were not doing that. You look at Isaiah chapter 58, and they were just, they were seeking and fasting and praying. And the Lord says, yes, but is this the fast that I've chosen you need to go out and do? Go reach some people. And they were, well, Lord, why haven't we seen the Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Why haven't we got more power? It's like, because you're just sitting here. Go do a thing. Paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> when Jesus arrives, he stands up and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And this time, not 58, but just a few chapters to the right, he goes to Isaiah 61. He says, for the Lord has anointed me. And he goes on to explain his ministry, to preach the good news. Commenting on this, uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 191. Every soul whom Christ has rescued, rescued is called to work in his name for the saving of the lost. I'm going to say it again. Every soul whom Christ has rescued is called to work in his name for the saving of the lost. This work had been neglected in Israel, which apparently was their work. And then she asked the rhetorical question Is it not neglected today by those who f- profess to be Christ's followers? We look back at Israel, man, Israel, they were so blessed, they just ruined that whole thing. You know, how are we any different? We focus so much on what God's grace does for me. But what does God's grace do for others through you? Right? We're not just blessed to be blessed like, "Oh, praise the Lord. I, I I lucked up and was born into the right church with the message and praise the Lord. I'm so glad of it." We have enough testimonies of people who came in from outside. Praise the Lord. We need some testimonies of people who stayed. We got plenty of "I once was blind. I just want to hear, "I can still see." <laughs> right? That's a whole nother sermon, but <laughs> Friends, we are the spiritual Israel of today, and Jesus is not coming for the first time. He's coming for the second time. He's coming soon and we are to be the three angels' messengers. And that doesn't mean merely giving a donation to 3ABN or ADRA or ADRA. Those are fine entities. I'm not saying neglect one to do the other. You don't have to pick and choose. You know, That's fine. You can give your money, but give yourself. We're supposed to be a holy nation, a peculiar people, a light in a dark place. And a membership in a church that has that proclamation does not make you a worker. It merely makes you a watcher. We got plenty of watchers. I've challenged my, my people our churches. We have a church full of members, but not nearly enough missionaries. Membership in the Seventh-day Adventist church should be a missionary compact with God. Lord, we're going to be your Israel today. I may not be a priest in the middle of the camp. I may not be a Levite, a son of Aaron. You know, I may not work in that place. But Lord, you've put me out in the camp somewhere. And wherever my little corner of the shop is, wherever my little sphere of influence is, wherever you bring people to me, I will do everything in me by your grace to win them to Jesus. That's the commitment we need to see. Did the message make sense tonight? Was it clear? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, I'm not making a teary-head appeal. I'm not going to make that appeal, but I want to land from God's Word the conviction in your heart that we have a special purpose, that God expects great things and will do great things through us if we allow Him. That if we make that compact with the Lord, we will see marvelous things through His power. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us. It's, it's fascinating. You're a communicator. You, you could have just created the world and then left it alone and we could all just be deists believing in a God that we've never seen or heard from, but that's not the case. You communicate. You demonstrate yourself. You sent your only son to show us what you were like. And Lord, you created us, therefore you own us, patent pin. you own us. And you redeem us. We're yours twice. So Lord, help us to act like it. Help us to understand that we are not our own, but you have raised us up to be your ministers, your angels, your people in the camp who will represent your character to the world. Lord, if there's some shortcoming in our lives that we need to reconcile with you, help us to do so. Help us to actually be a living ambassador for Jesus. Help people whenever they encounter us individually, though they may not understand everything of the theology yet, they see something and they say, I want more. Lord, help us to be those people in this time, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,